Hi, everyone. This is Chris Lim with the Theotech Podcast. And today I'm joined by Matthew Chan, who was a software engineer pursuing the Silicon Valley dream when God intervened with a bigger dream for his kingdom. Matt co-founded Basil Tech, a nonprofit tech consulting organization helping ministries and nonprofits around the world. Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, it's good to be here. Matt, can you share with our audience just the story behind how God could call you to leave behind you know, the Silicon Valley dream to pursue this thing and what that looked like, what the struggles you had were and how you overcame them? Yeah, maybe a little bit of background. I'm here in San Francisco, born and raised here. I think like when I kind of grew up here, you kind of take on what the culture around you kind of tells you, right? And for me, it was kind of like, we're in Silicon Valley. Like there's this dream where you can be a computer programmer, you can earn the big bucks. You can like have everything you want basically, right? And mm-hmm. so that's kind of what I grew up with. And I, I loved it. I love working computers. I love programming. Um, and that's the direction I was headed in. I think I would have continued heading the direction if God didn't start kind of changing my heart. And I think it started off with a question actually. When you read through the Bible, you read about how these people were giving God their first fruits, whether from their harvest or from the sheep flock or whatnot. And I always wonder, like, what does that mean in modern day, like America? What is my first fruits to give to God? If you were to ask, like, your pastor or your small group leader, hey, like, what's the first fruit? Like, what, what should I give, right? And the answer we often hear is like, oh, your time, your energy, your money, right? And I think those are all things that we can definitely give and we should contribute. But it never really satisfied me because I was like, is that really my first fruit? Like, is that really the best of what God's uniquely given me to steward? That question has always been kind of bothering me. And it wasn't until almost maybe 10 years ago now, the job that I was at, the project got outsourced. And I was praying, God, what's happening over here? Where do you want me to go, right? Mm-hmm. And... As I was doing this process of praying, I, I was looking for jobs online, obviously, and I had this idea pop in my head. What if I could work at my childhood dream? I had a very clear dream when I was a kid. I wanted to work for Pixar. <laughs> um, <laughs> they make amazing movies there. And I was like, I'm a software engineer. I wonder if there's an opening over there. So I went to the website and I saw there was an opening over there for a web developer. I was like, oh, that's perfect. I'm a web developer. And I looked at all the requirements. I fit it to a T. I was like, hey, is this God kind of closing a door at my previous company and opening a door in my childhood dream? So I sent my application. I started planning to move to Oakland, like Emeryville, where Pixar is. I started like a church over there. I started doing a lot of planning, right? Kind of like, okay, this is a short deal. I'm going to go there. Um, but then two weeks later, I get rejection email from them saying, hey, we flipped the position already. Uh, I was like, what? What in the world? Because... God, why would you do this to me? Why would you dangle my childhood dream in front of me and rip it away from me like this, right? But at that moment, our Bible study was reading through the book of Exodus. And we're reading about how God was leading the Israelites through the desert to the promised land. And they had to learn to trust him. And I was reading, I felt convicted. I was like, what does it mean to trust in God when you're in the desert? And I was like, I don't know how to do this, Lord. But as I was praying, I thought this idea came in my head. And I didn't hear a voice from him or anything like that, but his idea came ahead. It was like, Matt, like, what if you quit your job right now, which is just paying me to sit there to browse the internet? What if you quit your job right now? That's, that's covering my health insurance and paying me a salary, a Silicon Valley salary. What if you quit that job right now with nothing lined up and trust that God has something for you? 
right? I'm like, I don't know about that. That seems like a stupid idea. Do I really <laughs> want to do that? Is that really from you, Lord? I prayed about some more and the conviction kept on growing. I eventually decided, you know what? I'll do it. I'll put in my two-week notice. And so I quit my job. And after I quit my job, then I told my parents. Oh, no. Because <laughs> I knew they would not like this idea, right? For sure, they were like, why would you do this? And there's a bit of struggle over there, right? Like the moment you say God's telling you to do something that seems illogical, the world and your family and your friends will go, why? Like this doesn't make any sense at all. And that was definitely a struggle up front. But I had this conviction. I was holding on to it very, very tightly. And two weeks later, last day of work, and that night um, I had a Bible study. I was talking to my friend, and he was like, hey, you just quit your job? Let's meet for coffee tomorrow. So very next day on Tuesday, I met with my friend Eric Say for coffee at Phil's Coffee in Palo Alto. And he told me about the startup that he was doing, a Christian startup called Carpenter's Code. And they're working on a prayer app called Abide. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, that's like amazing. I love like what you guys are doing. Like this is so cool. Like you use your software engineering skills and you're building this app and you're blessing people prayer. But while I was having this coffee with my friend Eric, my phone started ringing. Mm-hmm. I answered, I was like, like, who is this? The guy and I said, hi, I'm Kevin Kim. Um, and he said, oh, I'm a pastor in San Francisco. I work for Francis Chan, I create a lot of ministries. I heard that you're a Christian web developer who just quit his job. We need some help for our website. Are you free to meet up today? Mm. I was like, uh, yeah, I just quit my job yesterday. Like, I'm totally free this afternoon. So I finished having coffee with Eric, and I drove to San Francisco, met Francis and Kevin for the first time, heard about their ministry, and I was like, this is amazing. I love what you guys are doing here in San Francisco. Yeah, if there's anything I can do to help out, I'm totally on board. And so we had a great meeting with them, great meeting with Eric, but I went back home that day, and I was like, that's ministry, nonprofit work. I got bills to pay. That can't be God's mm-hmm. will for me, right? Mm-hmm. So I kept on applying to other jobs, honestly. I was, I was looking for other like, uh, like real tech jobs that I could still get, right? But then that Friday, the same week that I quit my job, Kevin Kim called me up and said, hey, Matt, I have some friends of mine who are Christians at Pixar, and they invite to lunch next week. Do you want to come with me? And I don't know if our listeners re- realize this, but Pixar headquarters is a closed campus. You can't get on there until someone invites you in that works there. And I've been trying for years to like visit. And I said, heck yeah, I'll be there. When, where? So very next week, Tuesday, I got to go with Kevin Kim to Pixar. I got to have lunch with these four Christian storyboard artists that read the gospel story in a secular storytelling company. And I was just blown away by their testimony. And I always remember I was sitting there looking at the skylight of that cafeteria, thinking to myself, wait a minute, four weeks ago, I tried applying here for my own dream, my own desire, and I couldn't get in. I got rejected. Hmm. The moment I gave that dream, I took a step of faith and said, God, I, I'm in a desert right now. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what's going to happen, but I trust that you have a plan. The moment I gave up and gave it to God, he came through something better for me, connected me to work on the Abide Prayer app, Christ Love Ministries of Francis and all that. And so I was like, oh, God, I think I'm getting the point here. I think you're trying to show me that you are a better planner than I am. Um, you see a bigger story than I see, I'll do it. Oh, another thing, like he, he showed me a bigger story, but funny thing is that his plan was not for me to be at Pixar, but just because he's such a good God, he let me have a taste of it as well. It's like, <laughs> just, go, just go visit, just see what you want it, Matt, and know that I think better for you, Matt, right? So for the next two years, I work with Eric and Neil on the Bite Prayer app, and then I uh, work part-time on the side for the Crazy Love Ministries on the website. And then that kind of started this journey of moving into the nonprofit um, 
Christian faith technology world. Yeah. That is an amazing story of stepping out in faith. And, you know, for me, actually, it's uh, kind of timely because that Silicon Valley dream is quite tempting. I just uh, reconnected with a friend of mine who's a brother in Christ, and he was able to retire early <laughs> uh, in his 30s, I think because of the Silicon Valley dream. And to hear you restate that seeking God's kingdom first does produce results that we could never dream of from the traditional conventional career path. That's always really a big encouraging thing to hear and to hear how God provides when you take these steps of faith in unexpected ways. So tell me more about Basil Tech and its mission and how you are going about fulfilling that. So... As I mentioned, like, um, started working with Kevin and Kevin's like a big entrepreneurial guy. He's like a pastor, but he's like a, I don't even know what to call him. He's like a, a gangsta pastor, kind of like a entrepreneurial gangster pastor. gangster pastor. He's always like thinking and brainstorming and like, seeking out ways to expand the kingdom. And so we were chatting, this maybe about like eight years ago. We have all these brothers and sisters in Christ that are at our churches, that's in the pews, right? And they work at Google, Facebook, Apple. They're like tech company people, right? And let's see, they get the stirring in their spirit to, to serve the body. So they go to the pastor. Hey, pastor, I would love to serve in this church right now. I feel stirring of the spirit. And the pastor might ask them, hey, great. That's awesome. We're, we're excited. You want to serve. Do you play an instrument? Because the worship team needs some people, right? Oh, wait, you don't play an instrument. Um, are you good with kids? Because the nursery needs more people. Oh, wait, you're not good with kids. Man, you don't have any skills at all. Maybe the ushering team. Maybe you can have the <laughs> ushering team, right? And that's kind of, I, it's good that they serve in a worship team or a nursery or ushering team. But is that what they've really been gifted in? Is that really what their first fruits are that they can give back uh, to the kingdom? And we're like, man, like, what if they could use their skills and technology, development, design, project management for the kingdom, right? And so that idea started this, like, seed of basil that started growing. And we started looking at doing, like, what we did, like, hackathons, where we gathered together people and, like, got some nonprofits, give them some problems to the hackers, and, hey, find some solutions to us. Like, what would we do that? So we did that for a while, and it was fun. Like, we gathered together on a weekend pizza, Coke, and, like, programming and all that, prizes, but after a while, we saw that that didn't quite work. Like people's engagement started decreasing every year we did these hackathons. And we were asking our friends, like, hey, why aren't you coming to our hackathons anymore, right? And they were like, well, okay, yeah, it's fun. We come out this weekend, we do these things, we solve these problems. But honestly, every time we do these hackathons, a week or two afterwards, the project I worked on, like crazy hours in the weekend, it, it dies. It falls to the ground. The nonprofit drops it or our volunteers leave. And they're kind of like, we don't want to waste our time if that's the result every time. And we were like, man, that's true. That's rough. Like, what can we do to change that, right? And so we started this group of basil because we we're like, we're trying to solve that issue. And the way we figured it, we're like, what if we come alongside of these amazingly talented people and say, we'll help you bring your product to market, right? Not just like a hackathon, not just like a sprint, not just like, a prototype, but let's bring it to actually to market, to where people actually use it, to where actually be blessing the nonprofit and the ministries that want to use this tool. And the way we do that is basically, instead of meeting once a year for these hackathons, we meet up every week. It's kind of like a small group, like a Bible study group kind of, right? You get a bunch of Christians together, we have dinner together, pray together. But instead of like breaking out your Bible, so the Bible at night, like we break out our laptops, break out our design and development tools, our project management tools. We start working on projects for the kingdom instead of just reading about it. 
And we've been doing that for about five years now, I think it's been. And Basil, we've been gathering volunteers. We've been working with nonprofits and ministries. We've been um, doing design sprints with ministries around the world and working on product. And we do internal products and external products. It's kind of like a mix of those two. Mm-hmm. So like I'm familiar with the hackathon world. I think that hackathons tend to be helpful for networking, tend to be yeah. helpful for learning a new skill, for having that energy of the community around you that's just powering through. But it's not so good for actually taking a product all the way to market. It really is just a catalyst. And it's really good to see this concept of like a technical small group. You guys have given birth to that, I think, in a way that's been sustainable. I know collaborating with the Eric from Seattle, who's part of Basil Tech, that I've interviewed before, he helped host Code for the Kingdom last year, that tempo of a weekly gathering of believers who have jobs in the industry. So they're not following your path in this case. But they have this opportunity to use their gifts, to build up their skills, and to work on a project together that they believe will make a difference for God's kingdom. I've seen that to be really, really effective and sustainable for building community. And also, I think it's a model that many churches could adopt because it's basically saying, guys, don't fix your small group curriculum to only be, okay, here's some questions about the sermon, and here's like a Bible, a book that you guys are going to read together. We can be creative about our small groups to do all kinds of things. It could be music, it could be art, it could be technology and coding and design. And there's no reason that we have to constrain the way that churches do small groups to just this this model that was invented probably within the last 50 years. Yeah, and I think we can see some examples of them all like up there, like for example, um, Doctors Without Borders, right? Like where there's doctors that are kind of volunteering their time to serving the needy. Or IJM, International Justice Mission, where it's basically like a group of lawyers that work the legal system to stop slavery. Like how about all, all the rest of us, right? We all have like talents and skills that God's given us. Like how do we actually apply those to the kingdom uniquely the way God's gifted us with, right? And we definitely want to kind of inspire that conversation. And we get people coming to us like, I'm a, I don't know, like I'm a plumber, right? Like how do I use my gifts for the kingdom? And we're like, there are definitely opportunities for that. Maybe they can go and like find single moms that, can't afford to hire a plumber and go serve them, right? Or like widows or orphans, like whatever skill we have, there's a way to use it. And with technology, the weird thing technology is that it's, it feels so secular sometimes that people just kind of give up on it. They think that like technology is all like devil worshipers and heathens. There's so many Christians that work in the tech field and we're working to be salt and light in that area. And so kind of like expanding the vision of what's possible. Can you tell me more about what you just said, though? You said that many people feel like technology is especially secular. Where does that come from? That's a great question. I think maybe part of it is that many technology companies are not openly Christian, for example. Like there are companies out there that are openly Christian, like Hobby Lobby or In and Out, semi kind of like Bible verses on their stuff. But like for tech companies, the general trend has always been like, okay, we're really here just to make money. We're here to like do our products and whatever we're trying to do, right? And there's like no religion that fits into that. There's kind of like this idea that tech companies are not Christian-like. Secondly, therefore, if they're not Christian-like, therefore, they must not have any Christians within them because the assumption is that if there are Christians in them, then the company will be Christ-like, which I think is not really true, but that's the, the fallacy that we fall into, right? But I think it's also because maybe for many years before, like Christians were a little bit more quieter and more silent within their tech companies. Yeah. Um, not really want to stick their head out or to share their faith because HR might lock down on it. They're worried about what people might think, how it might affect their career. 
But I feel like in recent years, that's kind of opened up a lot more, like kind of bridge through self to work kind of thing. I think that the possibilities I'm seeing people sharing their faith at work are increasing. I think the possibilities for people seeing like how Christians are salt and light in their workplace is increasing. And maybe part of it is people are being emboldened, I feel like, by the Holy Spirit now to, to share more clearly, hey, I am a Christian, and I do work at a tech company, and I, I want to be open about that, right? It's encouraging not just for people in their company, people outside as well, right? And hopefully we'll see more of that. Yeah, I hope so. Because I think that when I've at least thought about the history of technology or the history of Christianity in America and tech companies is that we know that even some of the founding fathers of computer science, like Donald Knuth, he is a Christian. He was open about it in the sense that he even published a book called 316 that looks at every single chapter 3, verse 16 of every book in the Bible that has it and mm-hmm. has a little bit of commentary on it. I know that we have like Pat Gelsinger, who recently became the CEO of Intel, who was pretty right. open about his faith and does transforming the Bay for Christ and things like that. So we know that the presence is there. And like you said, there's a shift, I think, that when Christianity was the dominant culture, people felt like they needed to kind of maybe hold back and hide it more because it was something that they didn't want to have to be a bully and impose on others. And so that kind of approach doesn't really work anyway. Mm-hmm. And now that Christianity is kind of becoming secondary, we're in a somewhat of a post-Christian society. Some people are afraid, like, oh, we're losing power, but others are also stepping up in that, oh, we can be more authentic now. Now we yeah. can be a humble witness. We just yeah. say, hey, I'm motivated by my faith in Christ to do this, and this is why I do what I do in my work. This is the difference that I believe it makes for God's kingdom, and I'm just a witness. I'm not the one in charge forcing everyone to become Christian. I'm mm-hmm. a humble guy who just loves to do his work and is going to you know, talk about who Jesus is and through this work. And I think that that's something that actually could be more effective in evangelism and connecting with others. And it fits what you said with companies that claim at least that they want to enable their employees to bring their whole selves to work. There's still a struggle there because there's still ways that they try to, you know, silence or quiet down certain certain Christian perspectives. But I think on the whole, taking that approach of showing up authentically about what we believe and what we value and making space for others is an approach that does work. I remember when I worked for Amazon, I was able to have a Bible study. And I was able to yeah. share it with the Christians at Amazon. I was able to invite non-Christians to it if they wanted to come for lunch and just talk about Bible stuff. It was totally fine. And we had the Theotech discussion group there. And I was so surprised because I came from Campus Crusade. It's called Crew Today, where that's what you did on college campuses. So I think I had already had to overcome the fear of like, oh, it's weird to talk about Jesus with people out of the blue. But yeah. because of that training, I think it was actually not that bad to start it inside Amazon in a, in a humble way, just saying, I care about the theology of technology. If you care about it too, come, we'll just chat. And it actually, I think, worked. People came. We had, at one point, 20 people came in person. And then we had all these the email lists. We got emails from people all around the world who worked for Amazon who were so encouraged that we even met together. I shared the notes from our discussions. It was work, but it was really worthwhile to form that kind of community in a company like Amazon. Yeah, and I think like that's one of those things where it can feel very lonely, I think, for Christians in tech companies sometimes. No one's speaking up. In the moment one person at least speaks up, then suddenly they are not alone anymore. And I think it's such a blessing for the Lord that he allowed these groups to form and to grow. And I'm definitely praying like that those continue to grow. And like I even see like, here in the Bay Area, there's like the, the work and faith movement where those Christians groups at those companies are, are connecting to other Christian groups, to other companies, encouraging them. 
almost like little like proto churches kind of mm-hmm. um, going like, hey, we're gonna send our our greetings over to the church at Facebook. We're gonna send our greetings over to the church at Amazon, right? Greetings in the Lord, right? It's so encouraging <laughs> to see that actually, that's the new society and new culture that we're in. Mm -hmm. And actually, it reminds me, you know, even though there are some people who believe big tech is out to get Christians in a very serious way, and it might be partially true that there's bias there. I don't deny that. And some sort of kind of hypocrisy or discrimination on whose voices they allow to amplify. But I think of Daniel in the Babylonian Empire. Mm -hmm. The Babylonian Empire was not morally good, even though it was an instrument of God to bring about God's will. God would use Christians in places of uh, power within power structures that may not be the kingdom of God, but God uses them to bring about the kingdom of God and to bear yeah. witness to the kingdom of God. I just hope that if in our audience, even if you guys know Christians who might be really scared and concerned about big tech and things like that, one of the best things you could do is pray for the Christians that God has already sent there. Mm-hmm. Because those Christians are not your enemy. You might disagree about certain things, but pray that they can use their influence to bring about transformation uh, yeah. in these companies. Yeah. That's so true. Like, I love that you're bringing up like the power of prayer. Like, what is it that we're fighting against? We're not fighting against logic. We're not fighting against how people feel even necessarily, but we're fighting against the force of darkness over here, right? And what are tools that apply against that? Like prayer, for sure. Maybe it's true that for many years, we, the global church, maybe we have not been praying for these tech companies in a way because we're afraid of them because we don't like them. But man, what could God do if we start praying? It's awesome that uh, some of our friends here in the Bay Area, um, like Christy Childers, like they're starting up these prayer groups that are praying for tech, right? They're praying for specific tech companies and praying for God to be moving in them. And there is a movement that's growing where like understanding the influence of tech companies, right? Like look at Twitter has way more influence than people would have thought otherwise. Are we praying for Twitter? Are we praying for the Christians in Twitter to be salt and light and affect and influence the decisions that are being made, right? Do we think that we're going to affect that in any other way through protests or through legal things? Maybe, but why not prayer then, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, just to be clear, people who want to check it out, there are two different Pray for Tech domains because Theotech did one too, and I know Christy did one. So there's prayfortech.org, which I believe is Theotech's version of that, and then prayfortech.com, I think, which is Christy's. <laughs> but not at this point, no need for competition, no need for trademark infringement or whatever, even though we were first, haha. But uh, we want to support that prayer movement. Yeah. And I think of the, the passage in Paul's letter to Timothy where he says, pray for kings, rulers, mm. those in authority which means that you don't only have to pray for Christians. We can also pray for like Jack Dorsey of Twitter and pray yeah. for Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook uh, yeah. or Jeff Bezos or now Andy Jassy of Amazon, that yeah. God would direct their hearts. There's a scripture that says that the heart of the king is like a stream of water that God can mm. direct wherever he wills. Mm-hmm. And we can pray for these things and see God do things that we don't expect. There can yeah. be uh, a transformation, I believe. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that is like dear, near and dear to Basil's heart is that we want to see that transformation, right, of these companies for sure, but really of people's hearts. As I mentioned earlier in our talk, there's that Silicon Valley dream. I've been given these talents and skills for my own success. So I can buy my Tesla, I can get my house, I can go on my trips. In some ways, that's true. God bless you and you can partake of that for sure. But I think the the bigger story that Basil wants to direct people towards is like, would you consider that your gifts have been given to you, not just for yourself, but for the kingdom as well? I would even argue primarily for the kingdom. 
gives a possible skills in development and design, your skills in project management or in mechanical engineering have been given to you because God wants to use it for his kingdom to banish the wounds of those that are hurting, to serve like widows and orphans. I'm seeing these things, but we're going, how can I use technology to serve widows and orphans, right? Like it seems so diametrically opposed. But we found through basically there are opportunities to use design and permanent skills directly for orphans. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a chance to do design sprint for this organization called One Million Home, which is working to reunite one million orphans with their families. And I never thought I could use tech skills for that. But God showed us, no, I, I'm going to use it all, right? I'm going to redeem it for my glory. Like these secular tech skills, you think it's just secular? No, I'm going to use it and we'll make it holy for my purpose. That's part of why we're talking about attending the spiritual garden. Like God is like helping us grow this basal idea out more. Mm-hmm. Just to connect it for my audience, the serving widows and orphans, I think that's the passage in James basically saying that true religion is this, is to take care of widows and orphans. That's a way that we can integrate our faith with our technology work so directly. It doesn't have to require multiple steps to think about how does it fit. It is fitting, according to scripture, right there. And I was also actually meditating earlier this morning on Luke 16, I think. I don't remember the exact citation, but it was the parable of the dishonest manager, right? This guy is basically the master finds out his manager is kind of misusing his money. And so the manager ends up realizing he's going to get fired soon, but he has no skills. So he knows he can't get a job. So he makes the most with what he has, which is the power over the finances of his boss Mm -hmm. and invites all the people who owe his boss money and say, hey, cut your debt in half, cut your debt by a third. So he's kind of giving them favors so that when he gets fired, oh, they're going to take care of him. (laughs) They're going to, you know, they're going to return the favor. And uh, Jesus commends the dishonest manager for being shrewd. Because he uses the wealth that he knows he's not going to have for much longer to gain friends that will take care of him for the rest of his life. And then Jesus says, that's basically what the kingdom of God is like. Use your unrighteous wealth. If you have the Silicon Valley dream, use that money to get friends that will last for eternity now. And that's that's what Jesus says it's for, you know, more than just having a great vacation. It's like, hey, keep using it to make more and more friends. It sounds kind of distinct from big tech scale, 1 billion users kind of thing. And yet, that is what we gain through using our tech skills for the gospel is we get these eternal friendships mm-hmm. that, uh, we, that are going to enrich our lives and welcome us into our eternal dwelling. That's good. I, I would like to contrast that with the other parable that Jesus told of the master and the talents, where he gave one servant five talents, two talents, and one talent. I was meditating on that recently, and I realized when a master gave those talents to the servants, he didn't actually have to give it to them. He could just put it in a bank himself. He could just invest it himself. But he gave it to his servants because he expected them to actually do something with it, to use it, to grow it, to invest it, to show that how much he trusted them. But for that, that servant buried that one talent, he completely missed that. He's like, my master does not want me to do anything with this. My master is worried about losing this. My master does not want me to take risks, right? He completely misread the situation. And I wonder how often, we do the same thing. Are we misreading the situation of why God's given us our talents and thinking that if we mess up somehow, we take on a wrong project or we try something that doesn't work, that he didn't accommodate for it, that he was not willing to take that risk. And I'm like, God totally was willing to take that risk. I thought he gave this to you in the first place. He's taking a risk already right there. 
And so how much more so should we then follow that lead, right? And actually apply and invest our talents for the kingdom. So the master returns, we'll get that hopefully well done, good and faithful servant, right? Instead of like throwing out to the fire, gnashing of teeth, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah. And actually, like, I love the ending of that parable where it says, enter the joy of your master. Mm. Is that there's a joy that I think we just don't know yet that we will know one day if we get that commendation, well done, good and faithful servant, enter the joy of your master, where we really get to enjoy the fruit of our labor, the fruit of our sacrifice and giving and trust and everything else. Yeah, that's actually kind of funny because I feel like when I was working in the tech industry, and I I love the tech industry, I love having non-Christian coworkers because working in a ministry now, it's definitely very different. And one thing I appreciate most when I was working in the tech industry was how the stuff that we did affected a lot of people. It's got this like exponential curve of, I do something small over here in code, and it affects a million people on a tail end. And that's kind of mind boggling for us human beings that one person can affect a million people like that. Yep. Um, but then at the same time, a lot of things that we did in tech companies affect people, these million people in ways that are okay, maybe it helps them do the laundry faster or order a box of Oreos faster or see an advertisement for leather shoes that they will go and buy. It's kind of useful, I guess. But then now, like as I'm working in the faith tech space and actually making products that affect people's spiritual lives, right? We work on the Read Scripture app as part of Basil, and that's affected, I think, over 1.5 million people on the world. And I'm like, man, that's crazy to think that this app that we build has affect the spiritual growth of 1.5 million people. Mm-hmm. Like, will I see those people in heaven one day when I die and I'm in heaven? Will I see like, oh, that person, they read the Bible through read scripture and that person, that person. And would there be a joy that comes from like knowing that you were able to bless them in that way? And I think there is. There's that everlasting eternal joy that comes from knowing that you affected their eternity, right? I think it's one thing that we want to be able to open up opportunities for more people to do. I find such satisfaction and joy in doing this. And I'm like, man, I can't share this with my friends that are also in the tech field, right? And allow them to have access to this kind of satisfaction and joy as well. That's kind of why we do what we do. Yeah. Amen. So whether you're in a tech job or if you are feeling called to leave a tech job to use your tech skills for God's kingdom as your full vocation that you spend your time doing, there is so much joy to be had in integrating, in living an integrated life for that tension that you described in the beginning of like, I think there's more. I'm not supposed to just be an usher or or a small group leader. There's so much more joy. I found this with Theotech too, where these technical things like coding and design and everything line up so clearly mm-hmm. and and there's such a, a peace i think that there's still anxiety over how will god provide for sure this is really different it's elijah's oil somehow there's always enough yeah but there's such a joy that comes from that integration matt thank you so much for coming on the show i was refreshed hearing your story i believe our audience is too it's a witness to the goodness of god maybe to wrap it up would you pray for us and then we'll close out the episode okay lord we thank you that you are the good master lord that you know what each one of us can handle, Lord. You've blessed us with gifts and talents, Lord. And you've asked us, Lord, to invest those talents, Lord, to show that we understand what we're saying, Lord. Help us to be good stewards, Lord. Like if there's areas where 
We've neglected what you've called us to do, Lord. We pray you challenge us, Lord, that you would open our eyes to possibility. Would you not help us to do it out of dread? We don't want to do it out of like duty or dread, Lord, but we want to do it with a joyful heart, Lord. A joyful heart is full of hope for what you can possibly do, Lord. The impossible can be made possible, Lord, through your power, Lord. And we want to participate in that. We want to, we want to be in it, Lord. We want to see our lives transform, Lord, as you work through us, Lord, as you move through us, Lord, as you use every single part of us, Lord, that when we offer you, it would not be our second best. It would not be just the scraps from our table, Lord, but the way we offer you our best, our first fruit, Lord, everything that we have, Lord, the best of everything that we have, Lord, to you because you are worthy of it, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you have gifted us. Help us to return it back to you fivefold, Lord, for everything you've given us, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Give thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Matt. And thank you, everyone, for listening to the Theotech podcast. If you'd like to support this kind of storytelling, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash Theotech. If you would like to get in touch with Matt Chan, you can do so by reaching him at uh, Matt at crazylove.org, or you can go to our website, www.basiltech.org. Thank you, Matt. And thank you all of you for listening. Until next time.